0: The following is a special sponsored edition of the Big Four Bio Podcast. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Big Four Bio Podcast. Respiratory syncytial virus is the leading cause of infant hospitalization in the United States and a significant cause of morbidity and mortality in older adults. The virus causes more than 118,000 deaths per year and more than 3 million hospitalizations in children under the age of 5. While many pharmaceutical companies have sought to develop a vaccine against RSV, it's been an elusive target. Mesa Vaccines is developing a live, attenuated RSV vaccine using its platform technology to replace viral genes that inhibit the immune response. The company is also advancing a vaccine for COVID-19, capitalizing on the same approach. We spoke to Marty Moore, founder and CEO of Mesa Vaccines, about its platform technology how it works, and why its approach could provide significant benefits over existing COVID-19 vaccines. Marty, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here, Danny.
0: We're going to talk about Mesa Vaccines, your block platform technology, and how your efforts to develop an RSV vaccine has the potential to aid in the global effort to deliver vaccines against COVID-19. Before we talk about COVID-19, I'd like to start with RSV. For people not familiar with it, what is it and how big a medical problem does it represent today?
1: Oh, well, thanks for asking. Um, RSV stands for respiratory syncytial virus, which is a mouthful. Um, It's an important um, universal pediatric vaccine that is missing from our arsenal. Let me explain that. So, Um, RSV um, is second only to malaria as a global killer of children under one year of age, Um, and it hospitalizes about 1% of babies in the United States every year. So it has a tremendous disease burden in terms of morbidity and mortality globally, um, causing about between 60,000 and 150,000 deaths a year in children and around 3 million hospitalizations.
0: This is a condition that many pharmaceutical companies have sought to develop a vaccine to protect against. It's a virus that was identified back in the 1950s, but no one has succeeded
1: yet. Why is that? That's a great question. So many have tried uh, and failed to generate a vaccine against RSV, um, despite how important it is. And there are really two parts to that answer. The first part is that The first vaccine that was attempted back in the 1960s was a traditional killed virus vaccine, very typical type of vaccine technology. And this vaccine had an unexpected um, opposite effect. Um, So after it was given to children, when those children were um, in those clinical trials were later naturally infected with RSV, um, the disease was worse, not better. And this was called disease enhancement. Um, And then this was studied over many years um, in animal models. And this um, observation was associated with non-replicating vaccine antigens. So that means many types of vaccines, which are non-replicating, like proteins, um, mRNAs, many types of vectors, as wonderful as they are at addressing some viruses and in infectious disease, it's very risky to proceed with those types of non-replicating antigens um, for RSV in children. So, you know, what's left? Well, that led to the uh, application of live attenuated vaccines for pediatric RSV, and that was also studied for many decades. Um, And those were shown to be safe in infants and children, but unfortunately, they didn't work. So that's the two sides to the to the to the story about why there isn't an RSV vaccine, and we we at Mesa we've been, you know, trying to solve that puzzle of why, how can we get a live attenuated vaccine to work against RSV, uh, knowing that at least they can be safe.
0: It's been nearly twenty years that you've been working on RSV, beginning as a professor in the pediatric infectious disease division of the medical school at Emory University. What did you find working on the virus?
1: Right. So um, we were dissecting that virus for many years in our lab and and other groups were as well, of course. And um, we and others, you know, elucidated mechanisms by which RSV evades and blocks or suppresses the immune response. And that turns out to be important because we think the reason that live attenuated vaccines haven't worked so far is because the virus has these crafty ways of actually blocking your immune response. So um, all of this culminated in, in a paper where we showed if we uh, target these specific functions of the virus, take away its ability to block the immune response, then we can attenuate and yet actually improve the immune response against the virus. So that was really the sort of aha moment that led to um, the formation of MESA vaccines.
0: and. 2014, you launched the company with Roderick Tang, who had led RSV research and development at MediMune. What was the vision for Mesa?
1: Right. So, you know, I I remember the day very clearly. I went to Roderick with the data um, that I was just talking about, how we could modify the virus and attenuate yet improve the immune response. And he said, I'm in. And our our vision from the beginning was let's solve pediatric RSV. Um, And that, you know, I think that vision is really um, worth fighting for, even though the fight has been uphill. So, you know, before COVID, you know, we've always been vaccines, infectious diseases. um, And it was, you know, kind of a tough row to hoe to get a company started around that vision, but we were just super committed to doing, to solving that problem. The vision has changed a little bit in that, you know, now that we have additional programs, we've used our technology um, and expanded it against new targets. And I would say shaped Mesa into more of a platform company.
0: For listeners not familiar with the term, what is an attenuated vaccine and what's the case for taking this approach?
1: Oh, great question. So there, you know, there are two broad types of vaccines. Live attenuated and then non-replicating. So, um, live attenuated vaccines are uh, weakened forms of the pathogen that are given as vaccine strains. Classic examples would be oral polio, measles, mumps, rubella, yellow fever, smallpox, and these are considered traditional, maybe even old-fashioned, but they sure do work. And you know, they're known for giving. Durable immunity and broad immunity. Um, and what I mean by broad immunity is different arms of the immune response, like antibody T cells, innate immunity, and also um, the breadth of the antibodies that they can produce against multiple epitopes. Because you're, you're using the, a form of the pathogen itself as a vaccine.
0: Viruses have genes that can inhibit an immune response. Is there a risk that attenuating a virus can leave this mechanism intact and undermine the ability to confer protection with a vaccine?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is the main reason. Uh, I really like this question because I think this is at, at really getting at the crux of what we're doing at Mesa that's um, bring something new to live attenuated vaccines. So I think the ability um, of viruses to to inhibit immune responses um, has hindered uh, the development of live attenuated vaccines because absolutely, if you just weaken the replication, then it can still um, use its um, immune blocking mechanisms to disrupt that good immunity that you want.
0: How much of a, a challenge is it in balancing the need to weaken a virus and leaving it potent enough to stimulate an immune response?
1: Um, Traditionally, this has been a long-term process where um, viruses like influenza or another classic example, uh, polio virus, were um, iteratively weakened by passage in cell culture. And then you end up with these different lineages of strains Right, that you assess them for their um, level of attenuation and potency. So that's traditionally a multi-year process, but we're now we're living in an era where there's synthetic biology. We can generate recombinant uh, virus strains quite rapidly using um, synthetic cDNA, and that was, I would say, the under the hood nuts and bolts technology that we also developed at Emory University that um, enabled us to do this with. attenue block platform
0: well let's talk about that platform what exactly is it and and how does it work
1: sure so attenue block is essentially a reverse genetics system for rsv where we've um, gone in and tailored the genome to um, reduce or ablate the expression of these immune blocking genes Um, and specifically three of them in rsv a gene called NS1, a gene called NS2, and a gene called G. We uh, applied something called codon deoptimization, which is a a genetic uh, modification method that uh, replaces the um, commonly used human codons with the uh, rarely used human codons in order to reduce the expression of those genes. So I can go into that a little more detail if you like. Um, And another method that we use is just deletion of immune blocking genes, which we did for the uh, fourth gene of RSV called SH. Um, So attenue block is this base RSV construct with the immune blocking genes, either codon deoptimized or deleted, and that it then expresses uh, vaccine antigens of interest, whether it be the RSV effusion protein, or the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, et cetera. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. You're using an intranasal delivery rather
1: than injection. Why is that? Um, It really plays well into live attenuated, and the the two um, go hand in hand. So if you can generate immunity at the site of infection, Um, that has advantages. Um, There's something called mucosal immunity. For example, in your nose, we produce something called secreted IgA, um, which, you know, the job of secreted IgA is to block an incoming virus um, at that site of infection. And you might ask, well, why can't you just use any, any type of vaccine as an intranasal vaccine? Well, the nose is a great filter for particulate antigens. That's part of what it does. Um, so it's not easy to get a protein or an mRNA to give you immunogenicity in the nose, whereas a live attenuated vaccine has, you know, essentially evolved to do just that, right? To get in and infect at that site of infection and then produce immunity. So an intranasal gives you mucosal immunity, which can block infection, and that's really important for what we're aiming to do, which is a high bar in vaccinology. But I think where we need to go in COVID is to block transmission and that transmission blocking power um, is, you know, sort of a holy grail in vaccinology.
0: Well, where is the RSA vaccine in development and and what's known about its safety and efficacy from studies that have
1: been performed to date? Oh, good question. So our RSV vaccine is uh, currently being tested in seronegative infants. And this is um, a tried and true development path for a pediatric RSV vaccine. Um, We've completed trials in um, adults, healthy adults, and that was a safety and immunogenicity study. Uh, And we've also completed a trial in uh, toddlers, so what's called seropositive children. Both of those studies were successful and enabled us um, with an excellent safety profile to proceed into um, the more susceptible uh, infant population.
0: We've seen the rapid development of new types of vaccines in response to COVID nineteen, notably the mRNA vaccines. You say these are good and prevent against severe disease, but they're not designed to prevent infection.
1: Can can you explain? Sure. I think the underlying reason is that an intranasal live attenuated Um, Vaccine is uh, fundamentally, you would expect that to give you better mucosal immunity and to be more of a transmission blocker. So, if you can um, prevent infection, then you're you're more likely to efficiently block transmission. Now, you mentioned the mRNA vaccines. You know, these types of injected vaccines are showing um, excellent immunogenicity with serum antibody. Serum antibody. Which, by the way, we we also generate with our uh, live attenuated vaccine. Um, but serum antibody fundamentally is meant to protect against severe disease. Um, so that's protecting the lung. There's a, a physiological concept called transudation, where you know antibody that's in your blood it has to get to a mucosal surface to block an incoming virus, whether it's in your lung or in your nose. So the concentration of antibody required to protect the nose is about 10 times higher than what is required to protect the lung. And that's why it's more difficult for injected vaccines to protect the nose versus the lung. Whereas an intranasal vaccine stimulates this specific secreted IgA mechanism, which evolved in mammals to protect at that mucosal site.
0: You've... Taking your platform technology to develop a COVID-19 vaccine, can you explain what you've done?
1: Sure. So we used our attenuated block construct, which, again, was the RSV uh, genome where we've codon deoptimized or deleted these immune suppressor genes. And we removed the um, RSV's, uh, I'll say, quote unquote, spike gene which in RSV is called fusion, and we replaced it with the SARS-CoV-2 um, spike gene. So um, this is enabling us to generate a um, a live attenuated recombinant vaccine strain that delivers a functional spike protein right, on a, a heavily attenuated backbone uh, as an intranasal vaccine. So we're very excited about that.
0: In March, you began a phase one study of your intranasal live attenuated COVID nineteen vaccine. How big a study is this, and what are you seeking to determine? What are the the timelines?
1: Sure. So the phase one for our COVID vaccine is is proceeding nicely. It's one hundred and thirty subjects, and we're testing uh, drops and a, sp- a nasal simple nasal spray device administering our vaccine to. Um, healthy adults. And we'll be measuring, of course, safety, um, as well as immune responses against the vaccine.
0: If successful, what's the development path forward?
1: Um, Great question. So, you know, I think our vaccine has, you know, notable features that would make it um, well-suited to be a global End game vaccine for COVID. Let me explain that. So, you know, right now um, the pandemic is raging across the globe, right? There are two dozen countries today with epidemic curves that are nearly vertical, right? And so, what is it going to take to immunize um, global populations against this virus? Um, Our vaccine is a single dose, not multiple doses. It's given intranasally. We could do it by simple drops, um, so that's well suited for global administration. It also has a low-cost manufacturing profile that would um, should enable deployment as a global vaccine. I would I would like to make an, an out, a connection to the oral polio vaccine. So that was also that is also live attenuated administered without needles, you know, given as drops, low cost, and had a huge public impact around, around the globe. I mean, it's, it's an ambitious goal, but we want to be that type of vaccine for COVID.
0: And how scalable would the production of your vaccine be?
1: This is a, an important um, differentiator to, to think about. So um, the current currently authorized vaccines um, are working well, are, I would say, um, you know modern technologies that, that are more difficult to scale than a live attenuated vaccine. So if you think about, for example, adenovirus um, vectors are typically given in doses like 10 to the 10, 10 to the 11 viral particles, our doses are because it's a live attenuated vaccine, much lower, orders of magnitude lower. They're measured in infectivity units, but this would be 10 to the four or 10 to the five. And so um, we've been working on uh, scaling up our manufacturing process. And we think that um, we could make hundreds of millions of doses or billions of doses at low cost with a uh, manufacturing footprint significantly smaller than uh, currently used vaccines.
0: And is the expectation that you would seek to manufacture and market this on your own, or would you do this through
1: partnerships? Great question. I don't know the answer today. I mean, today I would say both because, you know, we're building a team with a lot of depth and we want to, you know, meet this goal. Um, But, uh, you know, the right partner could also help us accelerate this process. So it really depends on the COVID landscape, um, the dynamics of the pandemic. And I would say subsequent epidemics, which appear uh, inevitable.
0: As you think about the, the vaccine landscape today, how do you see your vaccines differing from competitors and what do you think will make you
1: successful? That's a good question. You know, I, I think to date we've been largely reactive and we have some tools, but we need to get ahead of this virus, um, which we haven't done yet. And I think the way to do that is to have more tools that can that can block transmission. I think that's going to be critical at the um, at the end game or at the end stage of controlling COVID nineteen. You know, I think what we can bring as an intranasal live attenuated is the that potential for ease of global distribution, uh, low cost manufacturing, single dose, and uh, we think high potential for blocking transmission like oral polio. Marty Moore, founder and CEO of Mesa Vaccines.
0: Marty, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thank you. It's great to, to be here, Danny. Thanks for
0: listening. The Big Four Bio podcast is brought to you by Big Four Bio, the leading aggregator service of four of the top life sciences centers in the world Boston, San Diego, Philadelphia, and the San Francisco Bay Area. To subscribe for free to Big Four's daily newsletters, go to BigFourBio.com. This podcast is produced by the Levine Media Group for Big Four Bio. Our theme music is provided for the podcast by the Jonah Levine Collective. It appears on the album Attention Deficit by Alpha Pop Records.